And now that you're all hyped up on God, you can be seated. Well, good morning. I'm glad everybody's here today. Um, if you're visiting with us, I'm, I'm Philip. I'm the pastor here. That was Nate McCartney leading worship. So we are glad that you're, you're with us, visiting with us today. Um, and it's a great day to be here. That was a great song. I'd never heard it before. Well, that's not true. I actually heard it at 930 in the first service. Heard it now just to be truthful. But nonetheless, that was, that was really good. Really enjoyed that. Um, <clears throat> I'm glad to be back. Uh, we went up, of course, to see Aurora graduate. She's now graduated. And um, she's, she's staying up there in Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, for a little while. She's going to do student teaching and then get her teacher's licensure. And then she'll, she'll be teaching middle school. And she chose to teach middle school, okay? <clears throat> that, that wouldn't be my choice, middle school. But nonetheless, she's going to do that. And I'll, I'll tell you, because I've lived with her, um, they're not going to mess with her but one time. <laughs> they're just not going to. She's, she's pretty sharp. So anyway, glad to be back. Um, this week, emails, uh, as some of you know, I have a homeowners association. Okay, in my neighborhood, <clears throat> and every now and then we get these emails, and to be honest, I haven't really been paying attention to them, um, but this one caught my eye because in the subject line it said coyote, singular, okay, so it caught my, caught my entrance, and so what I thought I'd do is I would read the initial email, and then some of the replies that happened that are very interesting to me. Very interesting to me. So here's the first email. It said this. <clears throat> coyote. There was a coyote barking at the edge of the neighborhood cul-de-sac several minutes ago. Now, what I thought was interesting about that sentence is it's the neighborhood cul-de-sac. In my area that I live in, in, in our neighborhood, there's three cul-de-sacs. So I'm trying to figure out which one is the neighborhood cul-de-sac, because this is where the coyote is, and I just would like to know the general area where the coyote is, okay, the, all right? It continues. <clears throat> While I like coyotes and would never wish them any harm, please beware. Coyotes will eat cats and small dogs. Please keep your pets safe, okay? I'm chuckling at this point. I go, and in our neighborhood association, people replied to these emails, right? So here's one of the first replies that I thought was, was something. It said, my daughter was playing in our backyard last week and had a too close for comfort encounter with a coyote in the early afternoon. So take care of your pets and children too, okay? Don't forget the children, right? Don't forget the children. The reply to that one was this, please keep your cats inside or get a leash. I don't even know if this person knows what a cat is. In my neighborhood, I've never seen somebody walk at a cat around the neighborhood, never have in my life. I've never seen anybody walk a cat on a leash. It has probably happened. There's probably somebody that put a cat on a leash and dragged it around the neighborhood. That has probably actually happened, but yeah. So then there's another reply. Here it is. 
This is a different one. There will be, oh, sorry. They will be out more during the day during this time of year because of mating and having pups. Now, that is true. That's true. If you see one, clap and make noise to haze them, that teaches them to be scared of humans. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. A coyote, hey! Yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to stop them. Hey! You know, I just don't know if that's going to stop them. Okay. The next one. Please also be aware that if they bite you, most coyotes carry rabies, and you will need to get checked out by your doctor. I don't even know if they know what a coyote is or what it does. I don't know. But it continues. It doesn't stop there. It says this. The good news is if your pets are up to date on their rabies shots, they shouldn't get rabies from the coyote's bite. I don't know if you know how we started this, but it said coyotes will eat cats and small dogs. Okay. So then <clears throat> I replied to these. Okay. <laughs> I think we should all buy roadrunners and set them loose in the neighborhood. It will distract the coyotes from eating the dogs, cats, and children. However, however, there may be explosions from time to time. We would have to put up with that, I guess. There are no replies to this email after this. No, no replies to email. I kept looking for somebody to comment, but nobody, nobody's, they're done. Okay, so there you go. All right, a little bit of fun. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. By the way, um, I have noticed that there are hardly any geese. Like, you know, normally I get these geese emails, and they're really a lot of fun, but no geese this year. I wonder where they are. <clears throat> Coyote. Yeah. Leviticus chapter 26. Now, in Leviticus chapter 26, the word land is used 17 times. The reason I mention that to you is because land in Scripture, when it comes to the children of Israel is actually equal to home. So God talks about, I'm bringing you into the promised land. It's going to be your home. I'm going to take you away from your home if you disobey me. I'm going to bring you back to the land, which is home, um, if, you, if you repent. That's kind of a theme throughout Scripture. So land to children of Israel would, would mean home. It's the same thing for us as well, if you think about it. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been outside of this country before, but when you fly back into it and you land in whatever airport you're in, whether it's in Washington or whether it's Atlanta, wherever you come back into, once you step off the plane, you feel like you're back home, though you haven't been to your house yet. And it, it's, it's a crazy feeling. So land, even, even for us, means home. So throughout this section, um, he's talking about land and he's talking about home. I'll walk with you in your home. I will take you out of your home is what he's saying. So that leads us to verse 1. It says this, You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image, a pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. 
So right off the bat in this chapter, he's talking about the second commandment. Do not make idols. Do not put any idol before me. Do not worship something else. Don't do that. So he, he makes that clear. So we're talking about worship. And then he says in verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So the author of this, which is Moses, what he has done here is he has made a connection between worship, don't worship other idols, and the Sabbaths, the day that's dedicated for you to worship God. And he's saying, keep, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, we have learned through our trek through Leviticus that a Sabbath is not always on Saturday. For instance, when they had the festivals, they had the festival, festivals in Scripture, um, depending on the day of the week that that festival started would depend whether or not that was a Sabbath or not. So you could have, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a Sabbath. You could have that on Monday. You could have that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, it, Regardless, wherever it landed on that particular month, that's when you would have your Sabbath. So Sabbath here is basically a day the children of Israel were commanded to set aside to worship the Lord. Also, we've learned from Leviticus that it's not only to worship the Lord, but it's also to get your life right with God. So there's sacrifices involved. So you and I sin, and when we sin, we need to confess those sins and make a, you know, gain the atonement for their sins so we can have a right relationship with God. And so God said, set aside a day for me to worship and to make sure that you have confessed your sins. We also know from Scripture that this was also a day where they opened up the Scriptures and they taught the Scripture. So the Sabbath was set aside as a day of rest, a day of focus on worship, a day to make sure that your relationship with God was right and to learn from God's word. That was the Sabbath. This verse says, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. In other words, you keep this. This is a command. I want you to do this. It's commanded. This is very significant because when God commands something, it means that you and I will not naturally do it. You and I will not naturally do anything that God commands us to do. Let's take marriage, for instance. In Scripture, God tells the man to love the woman. The reason he says that is because men automatically respect anybody that they're with. Not automatically, but you know, they will give respect before they will give love. And so men are required to love their wives because it's not something that would be on the front of our minds to do. We will respect our wives first and love them next. But God says, no, switch that. You need to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And to the women, women are more loving. They give love before they give respect. So to the ladies, the wives, the command of Scripture is for them to respect their husbands because they will not do that up front. You see, if you put a man on an island, <clears throat> he would rather have somebody there that respected him than loved him, period. If you put a woman on an island, she would want a posse of her friends 
only Alan that she could communicate with and love and get and nurture and get through that. That's how women are designed. We are designed just totally different. So anyway, love and respect. So God commands. That's why God commands. So here, God commands you and me, the children of Israel, to keep a Sabbath, to keep a holy day. Now, we don't do that on Saturday. We do that on Sunday. We feel like that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And this is precisely when we should worship. This is precisely when we should get together and we should worship and we should make sure our lives are right with him and we should learn something from God's word. That's why we come to church on Sunday. And it's commanded. It is commanded for us, for you and I, to meet, to meet together, not separately but together. And this is a value that the church needs to remember. We need to remember it. So we come together in whatever, whatever method. So, <clears throat> Philip, where does that, does it say that like in the New Testament? Are you just making that up? I mean, what, what's going on? Well, no, I'm not making it up. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, the back, that slide. That's Leviticus. Not, no, no, just don't, don't give them everything. I'm going to, yeah, there you go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You and I are commanded to come together as a local body of believers. The reason that we are commanded to come together as a local body of believers is to worship, make sure our relationship is right with God, and to learn from God's word. That is why we come together. That's why we come together. It's a command because if it wasn't, you and I can get easily distracted by other things in this world. If God had not commanded for us to set aside a day to focus on him, we would fill that day with other things. We would. We would. And you see that happen with people all the time. How they have been distracted from coming and worshiping God, and they are distracted with other things. And before too long, they're away from the church, and they're away from God, and they're wondering why their life is falling apart. So, back to the text. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In verse 3, it says, If you walk in my statues and observe my commandments and do them, I will give you rains in their seasons and the land shall yield its increase. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says, If you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you, spur, if you reject my statues and if your soul... Uh, goes against my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this for you. So God is saying, I'm really serious about this. I am serious about, number one, you not worshiping something else. I am serious about you setting aside one day a week where you focus on me, focus on your relationship with me, where you come together with a group of people and, and do life together as my people. I'm serious about this. And so go to the screen that says, I will walk with you. And if you do that, 
I will walk with you. And if you do not do that, I will not walk with you. That's what he says. And then in the rest of the chapter, all the way through verse 39, it gives us, this is what will happen if you walk with me and keep my Sabbaths and my statues, and this is what will happen if you don't. And so I'm not going to read all of that, but what I am going to do is give you just an outline of it. So if you walk with God, there's rain and fertility. It's, it's crops. You'll have abundance of crops and food. If you don't walk with God, keep his statues, set aside a day, you'll have famine and defeat. Next, peace in the land, if you walk with God, or drought and poor harvest, if you do not walk with him. Victory over enemies, if you walk with him, or wild animals that kill children and livestock. Right? If you don't walk with him. <laughs> Prosperity, right? Nine through ten. Or war, pestilence, and famine. Okay? If you walk with God, you have God's presence. If you do not walk with God, God abandons you. This is, this is pretty serious. He's pretty serious about all this. I think... Sometimes the reason that people's lives are falling apart is because they have not made God the central thing in their life and they haven't kept their day of worship sacred. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's life that has fallen apart is because they're not coming to church. I am not saying that. The reason I'm not saying that is because of Job. Job and his friends, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake this morning. But in trying not to make that mistake, I cannot ignore the fact that God says if you ignore him and do not come to worship, that somehow or another your life is going to stay together and it's all going to be great. I, I, I can't do that because if you neglect the house of the Lord in your life and you don't make God central, your life will fall apart. See, when we don't make that central, something else takes its place. Now, I could give you a list this morning of those things that I feel like takes the place. I could give you a personal, personal illustrations of things that draw my attention away from the Lord. I could give illustrations of what I've seen with other people and how other people are drawn away from the Lord on, on God's day, on Sunday. Somewhere down the line, people started thinking, hey, um, I can't get this done on Saturday, so Sunday's free. We're not doing anything but going to church on Sunday, so we'll just take Sunday to do whatever it is we need to do. Right? And, and then what happens is they wonder why their families are falling apart. They wonder why their lives are falling apart. They were wondering why things are not going as well as they could go. And maybe, I'm not saying every time, but maybe the reason is because you haven't made God central and he's not walking with you. He is now walking contrary to you. He's walking against you. Doesn't scripture teach us that if we walk away from God, God will chastise his children? Doesn't it teach us that? So God says to walk with him. Walking with God 
is a priority, and God commands us to do it, which it brings me to a question. Well, if you're commanded to worship God, and if you're commanded to assemble, if you're commanded to worship, is that real worship? Is that real worship? Um, I was around some, some Liberty University students um, recently, and they were talking about convocation. Now, if you don't know what convocation is, on Wednesday and Friday is when that whole campus comes together to worship and learn something from God's word. And everybody that lives on campus is required to go. So their conversation was, they didn't think that it was worship, real worship, when you were commanded to go, when you were required to go. And so I asked, I asked them, why do you, why do you think that that isn't real worship? And the response was, because if you don't go, um, there's some negative consequences that happen. You, you get points, you're fined, you know, there, there's negative consequences. And when there's negative consequences for not obeying that rule, then you're just going because you're forced to go. Well, well ladies and gentlemen, there's negative consequences if you neglect the house of the Lord because God has commanded you to go. And real worship isn't if you feel like it on that particular given day. That's not real worship. We depend way too much if we feel like going to church or we don't feel like going to church. God knows this. God knows that you will wake up one day and it's just too difficult to get your kids out the door to get to church. He knows this. And so what has he done? He says, go, set aside one day for me and go. You're not going to feel like it some days. Now, let me just pause here a moment. If you're throwing up, stay home, okay? That is not the type of feeling I'm talking about, all right? We would like you to stay home and keep that to yourself. Okay, all that. We don't need the stomach bug. But I'm talking about some mornings that you wake up and you just feel too tired and you're like, I just don't want to go today. I just don't want to go. God is saying, go. It has been my experience that on the days that I have felt like not coming to church is the very day that I needed to be there. There was something that happened in the service that I needed for my life for the rest of the week. There was something that happened. And so if you feel like it, if you don't feel like it, you're in the house of the Lord when his people meet together to worship, get their relationship right with him, and learn more from his word. It is a command. Do not let that go. Maybe the reason your life is falling apart is because God and the assembling of his people is not your priority. So what happens? <clears throat> what happens when, when people, you, me, what happens when you and I no longer make God the central portion of our life? Well, we, we stray. We stray. I don't know if you know this or not, but I have to be at church. That was meant as a joke, but maybe it wasn't a good one. Okay, this is something that I have to do. I have to be here, right? This is, this is my job. This is, this is what I do. I'm here for more than just the job. I want you to know that, but I'm just trying to make it. Yeah. So for me, it's when I stop doing my devotions during the week, when I stop listening to my podcast, 
of preachers that minister to me, and I take that time to do that, um, it's when I stop praying. If I start doing that during the week, what I find is during that week, I progressively get worse and worse and worse and worse. And before too long, I am away from God. He's no longer my focus. Something else is. This is really um, kind of difficult. It has been difficult. Is difficult when you go on vacation, like you're at the beach. You know, you kind of wake up. It's kind of a relaxing moment, and you, you just kind of get in the rhythm of all that relaxation and the beautiful beach and everybody around, and you're just having fun. And before too long, you realize that four days have gone on your vacation, and you haven't spent any time with the God that created the beach, that created that moment for you, that provided the money and the finances for you to be there. And you haven't set aside time for him. And what I find in my life is my heart goes astray pretty fast when God isn't the central thing in my life. Listen, I struggle, I struggle with sin when God is the central person in my life. Do you know what I mean? It is a lot worse when he's not. And so if, if people, Christians, Decide, well, church isn't as important as, and you list it, because I've got to do this today instead of going to church, because it would benefit me more to get this done than it would be for me to worship God and learn from his word. This is what begins to take over your life. And before too long, these things become more important than spending time with God and his people. And before too long, you're doing it more and more and more and more and more. And before too long, you're not even coming to church, but at Christmas and Easter. That's how that happens. So God commands his people to come to church, to assemble together, to learn from his word, to worship him. And it doesn't matter if you feel like being here or not. You come. Now let me qualify church because I feel like I need to. Okay. A church is a location that believes in the word of God and preaches the word of God. Everything else is a social club, and it's not church. The church you're going to does not proclaim the truths of Scripture. It's time to go. Hands down, time to go. And find a church that absolutely does that. So what happens... We've had all these times and we get, our hearts are away from God and we're not walking with God and we know God's walking contrary to us. What happens at that particular moment? Well, the scripture tells us. Look at Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40. And it says this. It says, but if they confess their iniquity, keyword confess, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they have committed against me and also in the walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. So, confession. If you're away from God, confession is what improves that relationship with him. What 
uh, heals that relationship with him. Here's a word. <clears throat> it's a Hebrew word. Hadrikdah. Now, I'm not going to get you to say that. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's Hebrew, all right? I do know the word, though. And the word is a very interesting word. This word actually means um, to reveal what was hidden. So you confess whatever you had been hiding, and you confess it to God. You see, when you and I sin, and when you and I are away from God, we like to hide the sin that we're involved in. Right? You don't want to reveal that. That's okay. That's okay. We like to hide the sin that we're involved in. So if I sin, my heart, sin sticks to my soul, and I try to hide what I've done wrong. Listen, I, I live with people in my house like Nicole, right? And there are times that I do not treat Nicole correctly. But there are times in my life where I'm not going to apologize to her. I am not going to do that. Why am I not going to apologize to her? Because I'm going to move on and I'm going to hide the sin that I have in my heart. And I'm not going to confess it to her. Are y'all with me? Don't look at me like that, like a judgy. I know you do it too. I know you all do it. Women and men are alike in that. We do something wrong and we're just not going to say I'm sorry to our spouse because that makes us weaker. We've got to be strong, right? And so the sin sticks inside and I can hide it and I can move on and I can make myself feel good the rest of the day and just leave her behind. I can do that. You know what? She can do it too. You know, she really gets on my nerves sometimes when she's done something wrong against me and then she sings in the house. What a hypocrite, right? It just, it just irritates you because we are good at masking our sin. And the first, the first person that we hide it from is ourselves, right? We have to feel good about what we've done wrong so that we will not have to reveal it. So we hide it. So this... The sin sticks to us. The problem is, when sin sticks to you, it sucks the life of God out of you. Have you ever seen people in real life that had leeches on their back, like real leeches, and you, you, you pulled them off? They're slimy little things, but you pull them off and they're just stuck there, and yeah, right? But if you leave the leeches on there, it's going to continue to suck that blood right out of the skin. And is everybody feeling uncomfortable right now? I hope you are. Because that's precisely what sin does. It sticks to you. And if you don't lift up your shirt to reveal it so someone else can pull them off, it stays with you. So the first person that you reveal your sin to is God, God the Father. You drop to your knees and you say, Lord, I have sinned. I was very prideful to my wife and I'm very sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. I'm very sorry. And you specifically point out the sin in that moment. I think a lot of times Christians do the broad brush. God, forgive me of my sins. And we just kind of, that's covered. 
I want you to know scripturally that only covers the, skin, the sins that you don't know about. Sins of omission. That you, you just didn't know you did. Don't know that they're sins that you did. God wants you to say whatever sin it is that you have committed and confess it to him and he will forgive you. You do not gain freedom until you speak the words, Lord, I was prideful. Lord, I acted incorrectly and I confess that to you. Please forgive me. You do not get freedom from those sins until you do that. You don't. You don't. What happens if, you know, I'm confessing to God my pride, I've asked Nicole to forgive me, and, and I've done that sort of thing, but I keep struggling with that sin of pride. What do I do at that point? Well, that's where the church comes in. That's where the church comes in. Now, it is not that I want you to walk down forward at the end of this service and stand right here and confess your sins to everybody. That would be very uncomfortable for you and very uncomfortable for us. There's some things that we just don't need to know, okay? However, when you are constantly coming to church and worshiping and getting to know people at a certain location, you begin to understand that there's some people in that church that you can trust, and so you go in and you find that person that you can trust and you share your struggle with them and you ask them to help you with it. So for instance, if, if it was me, I could go up to Tim and say, Tim, I'm struggling with pride with my wife and I don't treat her correctly and I've confessed it to the Lord. I'd say I'm sorry to her, but I really need this to break. Can you help me with that and hold me accountable? And what I know is that Tim won't tell anybody else. See, this is very key. When you choose somebody in a church to share something with, you need to make sure that they're not going to tell someone else. You see, the church is a body, and there's different parts, legs and ligaments. There are some people in the church that are the mouth. You don't want to tell them. Come on, that's good. And you know who they are. They're going to spread it everywhere, so you don't want to tell them. You want to tell the person that's going to keep it between you and them And you know that that person is going to ask you about it next time you come to a worship service. So if I was to tell that to Tim, I would expect him to come to me in the next worship service and ask me, how are you doing with that pride and you're with your wife? And I would hope to be able to say, yeah, it's been great. Ever since I've told you, I've gained freedom from it because the sin has been brought to light And when you bring a sin to light, it no longer has power over you. That's how that works. So you confess it that way. And you make sure you know you confess it to. Sin clings to you. The second thing that this word has in it, in its definition, is the sermon is not going to be that long. 26 hours and 46 minutes. Yeah. Confession is also you revealing your sin to God and leaving that sin there because something has been done on your behalf to take care of it. Do you understand? See, I alone cannot take care of my issue of pride. 
I can't. But God can take care of it. God can take it out of my life. He can wipe me clean from it. He can cleanse me from it. There has been something that has been done on my behalf so that I can have freedom from sin. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that you and I would have freedom from what so easily besets us, namely sin. He took the penalty for that sin on the cross. He died, and three days later, he arose. And all you have to do is accept him as your Savior, and your sins are cleansed. And then after that, you just confess your sins to him, and he takes care of those as well. He frees you from the sins that so easily besets you. We were doing an ordination this past Thursday, and a group of pastors were here. And one of the pastors actually said, um, the cross is the point in which um, all the attributes of God met at one time. Now, now hang with me here. The cross is where you see all the attributes of God all at one time. So let's think that through a minute. The cross is Jesus, is omniscient, he knows everything, that died on the cross knowing he was shedding his blood, not for his own, but for every single one that you've committed. Omniscience. Omnipotence, all power. The cross is the point in time where sin was defeated and life won. That's an amazing thing. The cross of the Lord Jesus is where grace was exhibited and mercy for your sin. The attributes are all there. Well, what about love? Hello, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Every single attribute of God is seen on the cross. Why? Because it was God that died for you. It was God that provided for you. Because God knew that you were away from his land, therefore you were away from home. You're away from home. So Jesus provided a way for you to come back home. So whatever you have done, it doesn't matter. You can always come home. Because forgiveness equals you can always come home. You can always come home. I don't know if you've been away from church for a very long period of time and you've, you've dabbled in stuff that you know that you shouldn't have dabbled in and you know that it's sinful and you're here today and you're not sure if God will accept you back. I'm here to tell you he will. He has been waiting here for you to come today to come back to him, to confess your sins and come back to him because God says you can always come home. If you're breathing today, you can always come home. The whole book of Leviticus is God saying, hey, I love you enough to come down and let you know who I am and how to get to me. Jesus Christ coming into the world is God saying, I want you to know who I am and how you can get to me and how you can come into my land because that land is what is where your home is supposed to be. You can always come home. Death was defeated. 
defeated by the power of God on the cross. And death and sin does not have the last say for a believer. It does not have to be your end game. You can always come home. So if you step away from the Lord for a little bit, then you realize, I'm not making God central in my life. I, I've got to get back to that. It's not days and weeks and years that you have to go through in order to get back home. It's just confession. And you're there. Isn't that amazing? It's just confession and you're back home. You can always come home. I think that's the message. God gives a command. Set aside a day for me because I want to walk with you. And then he says, you can always get to me by confession. You can always come home. You are that important to me. Isn't that great? He loves you. Sin is not the end. You might think it is sometimes, but it's not. I want to end with this. I should have probably said this earlier. But I think America is in the condition that it's in because Sunday has not been a priority for most of the people in our country. I think that's it. I think our, our land would be blessed right now if Sunday remained a priority for the people in this nation. I think it would be totally different than it is right now if Sunday had been a priority for the people in this nation. I believe that. I, I recently went to a movie and, and I saw something on the screen and was like, you know, that is an example of Sunday not being a priority because they would know that that's wrong if Sunday and God was a priority. But in a more personal way, because we can talk about that all day long and really be right about it, if Sunday isn't a priority for you and God isn't a priority for you, there are some things that are wrong in your life. And that's why things are falling apart. And your life could be better if you would just come home to him. You can always come home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for loving people like us. It's just an amazing thing. Each one of us in here have, has our weaknesses, but you love us anyway. Each one of us in here have sinned in a way that wasn't pleasing to you. We've walked away from your commands and your statutes from time to time, but you still love us and are concerned for us. And you're always wanting us to come back home. So I pray this morning that if there are people in this room struggling, 
have some sort of sin in their life. Maybe they're not making you a priority in their life. I pray that during this invitation song, whether it's at the altar and in their seat, that they will confess that, repent of that, and dedicate themselves to making sure that you're central in their life. We praise your name because of the commands of scripture. We know that those are things that we wouldn't naturally live if it wasn't for you commanding them, and we appreciate them being in scripture. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you help us live by and be obedient to those things. We are so dependent upon you. So help us. So we leave all that at your feet, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is open for you today. I'm also here to pray for you. If you want to join the church, I'll present you during this time. But if you'll stand and sing.